Welcome to the Sports Development Authority podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Wells, and because of my experience in esports, I dive deep into the aspects of sports from design and construction to program development and management, event and fundraising opportunities, and the overall effects that sports has on our youth and the communities they serve. Although economic development is a huge factor in youth sports, the true ROI comes from giving kids the opportunity to be a part of something so much bigger than themselves. Follow me through the tips and tricks I have learned along the way and various interviews with experts in their fields that will help you develop your players, community, and our future. Today's episode is with Dr. Scott Grant. It is another episode on NIL, and he has developed the Triple Threat Leadership as well as NIL Education, and he really dives into the policy side of the name, image, and likeness. So thank you for joining us today, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. Dr. Scott Grant, um, how we're, the big topic right now is NIL. I made a post last week on LinkedIn, and it the crazy thing is I had actually I had actually scheduled it the night before and I had found this article in the USA Today and I created this pretty little map with it just so it would be more visually appealing because the NIL situation, it it's very dear to my heart as far as how it's going to trickle down and affect our the young ones, the young kids. Um, and, I, and I have mixed feelings on it. I think that there's a lot of uh, misconception on what it is and how it works, but you were one of the ones that commented on my, um, the, the map and the uh, lack of growth that it had accomplished from June to today. So, you know, talk a little bit about your position and what you do and where you affect the NIL platform and landscape. Yeah. Yeah. So I apologize if I went after the map. I'm a, I'm not a fan of maps and, and I'll, I'll explain why. Um, And part of the, part of the issue with, with NIL just in general is around misinformation. And I feel like when NIL started to come into play at the high school level, those maps were one of the biggest issues regarding misinformation because people can't clarify it. So going back a little bit. um, So I'm a former high school teacher, coach, athletic director. Um, Then I did my doctorate in educational policy and taught college for about six years. Loved it. Worked in college athletics. Uh, My family and I moved to North Carolina. I worked at the University of North Carolina from 2019 to about 22, right when NIL was coming into play. And and part of my job was to understand it and, and add value. And what I saw at the college level scared me to death for high school sports. Uh, my parents were both teachers. My dad was a high school basketball coach. So everything around that, I just got nervous because I saw the education and I saw what was lacking. Um, so my family and I moved home to Ohio and I teach at my alma mater at the University of Finley right now in the College of Education. And I run Triple Threat Leadership, which in essence is a consulting firm that's been around for eight years actually today. Um, I do social media. Yeah. Yeah. I, but it's, it's weird because I never intended to get into NIL education and I never even really wanted to, I just didn't trust people in the space to care about high school. So when I moved back, I had a lot of my buddies who were high school ADs asking Scott, help us understand this, explain it to us. And I really just said, okay, I'm going to only focus on serving high school, high school administrators. I don't help student athletes monetize. That's not what I do. Um, I help people understand state policies. I help people understand NIL 
in holistic views and then figure out what is it that you want or plan to do from an educational standpoint as a school district. So I work with a lot of schools around the country, a lot of state associations, state AD associations, helping them get a grasp on high school AD or high school NIL. The hardest part is there's a lot of people in the NIL space who were in college or are in college as in they're serving the college space and they see a massive opportunity to scale whatever business that they have with way more student athletes in the high school space. So they come in and they start talking about it like it's the same thing. And it's not, it's, it's totally different because you're dealing with minors and there's the biggest issue. And this is probably my educational policy background coming out. There's 51 state athletic associations in the United States, right? And they all operate independently of each other. The NCAA is the governing body for college sports. There's one entity, right? Or the or the NAIA, there's there's one entity that governs those schools. At the high school level, there's there's 51 associations and they're all respective of the states. There's 34 right now that permit NIL activities for their member schools, mm-hmm. but their policies are all different, right? So when you see a map what that map is telling you, if it's talking about specifically high school state associations, those are just the ones that permit it for their member schools. Well, there's a lot of schools that I work with that aren't part of a state membership. I work with a lot of private schools. I work with a lot of boarding schools. I work with a lot of um, schools that only play public schools or only have to abide by the rules because they have to sign a competition waiver. And some of them are questioning, do they even need to do that, right? So the, the toughest part is getting the understanding of like, this is moving so quickly. And even when people in a state, like I was in Arizona, not that long ago, working with a school and that state does not allow NIL, right? But they're trying to educate their parents and their parents, some of them thought NIL was legal because of what they saw or it was permitted. And Mm -hmm. even if it does pass, there are specific intricacies to that state policy that their people need to understand. So I, I just personally get frustrated when people talk about NIL and they think it's just like this common in at the high school level, it is different in every state. And it's important to understand those guidelines are very unique, but you got to start there. So that's kind of what I do now. Uh, I just partnered with the Georgia high school athletic association. I work um, as their NIL educator and their support advisor for, for them and their member schools, um, which has been great. And, there's a lot more stuff just coming that I, I fly to Nevada here pretty soon and, and supporting schools and administrators and understanding this for moving forward. And I think that you make a great point. And something I hadn't even really thought about is the fact of all the different associations. I mean, yeah, we have a state association. So you think of it just as that. But just like what you brought up, the NCAA oversees all of it, whereas there's 51 yeah. other ones that are overseeing it. So that's. it's not a one size fits all type of a situation at all. Right. There is no, I mean, there is no national governing body for high school athletics, right? You could say the NFHS, but the NFHS makes rules and regulations Mm -hmm. and they support state associations, right? They don't work individually with schools. They don't, even if they pass the regulation, doesn't mean, you know, a state has to like input that. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are different pieces to that. And then the hardest part too, is like you're in Missouri, all right. So Missouri, before they passed NIL permittance at the high school level, 
you know, there was a state law that was passed that included a provision that high school students were allowed to monetize and they could monetize with the help of college coaches and people at the college level if they signed with a school in the state of Missouri. The Missouri High School Athletic Association permits NIL activity for high school student athletes. They okay. they have passed it, but they have COVID. They have caveats where like it's one of the few state associations that policies it does not allow sport specific representation. So like there was a kid in Georgia recently that posted a picture of him in a baseball uniform, but it didn't have any school IP. Right. There's no logos, none of that uh, announcing an NIL activity or, or, you know, with this specific company in Georgia, that is allowed because they're not using school IP. There's no there's no school logo association IP in any way, shape or form. In Missouri, that is not allowed because he has a bat and he has a baseball hat. That is a sport-specific representation. So even as far as down as application of the policy itself, whereas that example would be allowed in Tennessee, Georgia, and California, but in Missouri, that would not be allowed. Okay. So when you go in and you... How do you educate the administrators and the, you know, the athletic directors, the coaches, how do you educate them so that they know what to look for and how to help their players? Yeah. So pretty much, and I've done this the last two weeks, I've had different calls with, with schools, et cetera. Um, some will bring me in live, some will, will do virtual and I will literally go line by line through their state policy and show them examples, show them what an application, show them potential interpretations or questions or leadership considerations that they might have to have. So for example, Georgia's high school policy does not outline what prohibited categories specifically are. It pretty much says a school uh, can declare what categories a student athlete cannot sign an NIL activity with. Now it gives some examples, but it doesn't like in Maryland, it literally lists, you know, tobacco, cannabis, except like a specific list. Well, in the state of Georgia, every school is going to be required to create their own local school policy saying, you're not allowed to sign an NIL deal in this, this, and this, right? Well, some of them, if they've not actually gone through the policy, there are sometimes things that they're going to be required to do as leaders of a district. And I help them kind of analyze, okay, what do we need to do? What's the policy requiring us to do? Who do I ask if I have questions? And then third, what's my educational strategy moving forward? So always first step is getting all your leadership team people on the same page. So you get them in a room, you give them more information than they can handle. And then you ask questions and you, and you talk it out. So everybody at least has a little bit of understanding of what it looks like. Then you say, okay, who needs information? Who needs education as soon as possible? So coaching staffs, right? I always, I go coaching and staff mm -hmm. personnel. And then eventually you say, okay, what does our community need? If you're in a community that is, uh, um, let's say, has specific sport pressures and they're going to expect you to have some sort of um, development program for student athletes, right? You can't help facilitate NIL deals. You can't help kids monetize. All you can do is educate them on what this is, tax implications, things to look out for and legal contracts. But from my perspective as a teacher, once you get those leaders and the staff on board, then you say, okay, 
what can we teach kids now that can help them for the future through NIL applications? So I teach personal branding, social media. I go in, I get presentations to a full school district. Has nothing to do with NIL, but has everything to do with NIL, right? Thinking about like you have an entrepreneurship class. I work with entrepreneurship um, teachers and they'll say, okay, what is a kid going to need to know to be successful in NIL? Well, they're probably going to get a 1099, right? They're going to need to know what a W-2 is. They're going to need to know what their tax implications are and their parent too, because they're going to have to claim that kid as a dependent for anything that they make, whether it's a free t-shirt or whether it's $5,000, right? Those are all, that's all taxable income. Absolutely. So all of these things can actually be educational based applications. And that's what gets me more excited about when you teach them NIL and you get them past the fear of it, of, hey, this is here and you can't help kids make money and you don't want to do that, but you can help them be safe and compliant by teaching them a lot of the things you're already trying to. So I work with schools in, in a plethora of different ways um, from an educational standpoint doing and helping them build strategies around how do we build a framework to truly serve our stakeholders? Are you seeing some of the state associations implementing require class requirements based on that information and that education? No, I mean, I don't think a state, an athletic state association couldn't require that, right? They don't have, they don't have any jurisdiction over, um, over the, the curriculum. Now they could require, uh, kids to take a class. There have been state associations that have tried to um, potentially put language where a kid might have to take a financial literacy class before they sign a deal. But then it's like, so what if the kid doesn't, right? Like, what if they don't, mm -hmm. you know, because the toughest part with some of the regulations. And, and honestly, I was just reading through a proposal of a state and, and giving some feedback um, to them. A lot of times these policies are written with good intentions, right? It's they're trying to keep the kids safe, but most state associations don't have the enforcement people. I mean, they, you know, one state has a requirement where uh, alumni cannot enter into NIL deals with students at their, their former school. Who's going to police that, right? The first kid to publicize an NIL deal in, in that state there was like Twitter banter between a lawyer questioning the the actual NIL deal because it was a company that was owned by a former an alumni, and they were like, "Well, the company is not an alumni. The person doesn't own all of it." Like, and it's like, "Okay, you know what I mean?" So there's so many intricate intricacies that state associations are doing their best, but I think sometimes it's like they make it just people in general make it harder than it needs to be. Um, because a lot of the stuff, either one, doesn't make sense, two, is too hard an application, and three, is just almost unenforceable, that people are just scared to death about what's going to happen. You know, what What I see parents out there that just don't know, and they just don't, they don't mm -hmm. get it, and maybe they don't have the financial means to even, you know, they're living paycheck to paycheck, and somebody right. comes in and waves dollars in front of them. And they're signing over these kids for however many years without even truly understanding what that means. Yeah. And, and so right. I think that that's my biggest fear is just the, I guess, the lack of education behind all of it. And how do you reach all those people? Yeah. Yeah. And that that is definitely a concern um, in general. And, and I think one of the the bigger concerns with that is 
one of the differences between college and, and high school is if, let's say a violation occurs at the college level, 99% of the time, it's not going to impact the student athlete's eligibility, right? It's, it's a, a booster disassociation. The school gets put in, gets in trouble, et cetera. If, if a kid, let's say that scenario, let's say a kid's parents who technically a, a kid under the age of 18 can't enter into a legally binding contract, right? So the kid's parents, let's say, sign this deal that would violate the state regulations. The kid's losing his amateur status. The school, a high school can't disassociate a, a business from you know, that, that it doesn't work the same way. A state association isn't going to fine a business for violating their policy. The policy has nothing to do with the business. It has everything to do with the kid's amateur status. Right. So technically, if there's a violation at the high school level, the kid's the one that's going to be impacted whether they did it or not. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that, that's the, that's the scary part. The other thing too, is state associations govern different age groups. So like in Georgia, it's nine through 12 in Ohio, which does not allow NIL is the only state that has actually put it up for a vote and it's been voted down by its membership thus far. It's seven through 12. So, I mean, below those grades, there is no, there is no governance other than if the state has a state law that potentially is, is, has any sort of oversight over youth sports or kids under the age of that, like, cause state associations don't, they have no jurisdiction over a third, fourth, fifth grader. And so, I mean, you have, you have parents with second graders that they're trailing around the country who have signed different deals or, you know, they're building their own brand and doing those types of things. So you open that door. How, what do you see that looking like? What does that landscape even? For the most part, it's going to come down to adults doing appropriate things, right? Most of the time when, when NIL gets sideways at the high school level, it's usually because of adults, let's face it, right? Absolutely. People trying to gain a competitive advantage, those types of things. Um, for the most part, what you've seen across the country is there's not a lot of high school NIL activity that is large amounts of money other than elite 2% athletes, right? Um, kids that are are division one prospects, um, professional in in different types of elements i don't there's not going to be a lot at this point my concern is when nil was integrated at the college level the goal was to provide student athletes current student athletes their time during college the mm -hmm. opportunity to monetize their name image and likeness not associated with sports right right that was the goal Never once was there really a consideration of what's going to happen when boosters get involved and the recruiting collect collectives was never a conversation at the beginning of NIL. Like that wasn't even a thing. Right. And now you have collectives at the high school space. Mm -hmm. um, technically NIL can still not be tied to athletic performance or athletic participation like it is 100% separate at base root it's just hard proving a lot of those pieces to it so I mean when you look at the transition from high school what is year two going to look like or year three or year four everybody's at a different stage because there is no national governing body right Georgia just started so they're in month four right 
California has been around for a little bit longer. Uh, New York's been around, right? Most might say, oh, it hasn't really been an issue. In some states, there may be more deals. Some states require disclosure from the kid to the school, right? That makes me nervous anytime. There's just, there's a lot of unknowns moving forward. And, and I think that's the most important part about education of, of even what it is. What are the regulations? How do we stay safe and compliant? Because it's like anything with you sports, right? You try to educate them. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately parent, parents are going to make a decision. You hope they all make great decisions, but we all know how that goes, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, at the college level at this point, if they transfer, they're losing that NIL money from the previous school when they transfer over. Well, the schools, Oftentimes. the schools don't sometimes the money money doesn't come from the school correct right, correct. right. money money time. has no connection yeah well not to the school kind of, but, but that not being at that school yeah but it can't it not not in verbiage right and that's the hard part right like it's not allowed to be an enrollment inducement in any way so a contract isn't going to say you're required to go to the university of north carolina for this $10,000 NIL deal. And there has to, whatever exchange of services that is, right? Mm-hmm. Now, most contracts that a collective who we all know sp- supports a specific school will have a clause that allows them to terminate it for whatever reason, right? So that's the hardest part where like a contract can't require a kid to go to a school. I haven't seen too many that will sign a kid who decides to go to another school. But if it wasn't written appropriately, technically you probably could. Right. So, I mean, you're going to see the same thing on the high school level. If a kid has to transfer schools or what, what happens could, when they're, let's say they're at a state that an association doesn't allow NIL and they're currently at an academy, which is an affiliate mm-hmm. of the program, not a, or of the association, not a member, then they mm-hmm. transfer to a member school how is that going to, how are they going to be able to navigate that landscape? Well, I mean, I technically, I guess you could look at it two different ways. And that happens a lot, right? It happens a lot where I think, I think in the, and there's a company that does rankings, valuation rankings of high school student athletes, right? And I think of the five kids in basketball in the state of Ohio, four of them do not actually attend a school in Ohio, right? They, they attend a, a prep school or a private school outside the state of Ohio. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess the question would be is if I was the executive director of Ohio and one of those kids wanted to transfer back and say they had done NIL activity, NIL activity doesn't have to be a contracted basis, right? It could be a one-off opportunity that a kid did their sophomore year where they did an appearance at the local pizza shop, right? They weren't part of your association. They weren't at a member school. Are you are you bringing that in and declaring that kid ineligible for something that they did as a freshman that had nothing to do or a sophomore that had nothing to do with your school, your state, your your regulations? Because they weren't bound by them, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're not they're not in your state. So now, if a kid's under contract with Adidas, and or he has a there was a student athlete just recently out of Ohio, a golfer who's a sophomore that forfeited her the rest of her. Um, athletic eligibility because she signed with an agent, which is a violation um, in, in the state of Ohio. But for her, she's played in LPGA events. The value of high school golf isn't as high as what her family and, and her decided. And I mean, her dad 
They're great people. Her dad is uh, the, her high school coach. They saw a tremendous value in sports, but at this point, Ohio doesn't allow it. Could she move states, go somewhere else, and then if she didn't and try it and then come back? I don't know. That would be a question. But if she's going to stay, remain living in the state of Ohio and she signs that deal during that time, technically she is forfeited her. And there's an article about it, you know. So the the toughest part about high school and junior high and, and youth sports in general is maybe not youth sports because there are some national governing bodies there, but the state association runs the policy within that right just like states run their own education systems like there is no national education program that all states have to follow right ohio does it differently than missouri et cetera, et cetera. it's the same thing from a sport perspective which causes a lot of confusion and misinformation for people in states because all they see is what they see on tv absolutely absolutely and that's all twisted oftentimes 100 percent. yeah and most people would say that's not actually like NIL, like that's not because for the most part, let's face it, those large deals where seem to be, hey, this if you go to this school, you get that, which technically is illegal. I mean, some people say that everything you're seeing is technically illegal anyways, just nobody enforces it. Right. Well, there's no rules. There's a lot of times there's no rules or regulations on it. So what are you going to enforce? Well, I mean, but even the, the inducement, I mean, people have been saying that. For the longest time, like all of it's an inducement, but until the NCAA enforces it, you don't have rules, right? It's a common statement. If you don't enforce the rules, you don't have rules, but they do have rules. They just haven't really enforced them as of yet. Right. Which they're starting to a little bit now here. And there. I think the biggest, just even with that, like the biggest fear that high school athletic directors that I have that, that have been expressed to me is a concern around workload and and what they are going to be required to do because it, but in essence they shouldn't be required to do anything mm -hmm. right like i mean it's not it has nothing to do with school sports like it's not supposed to when they pass these regulations it says this has nothing to do with the school this is the student athlete but then you have these regulations and what if one is violated is is the state association like enforcing that is is the athletic director have to get involved i think there's a lot of lack of clarity around that component right and um, i think that's the biggest concern at this point is without the ncaa getting a hold of it and allowing it without any rules and regulations basically that trickles down to the high school level which then trickles down to your second and third graders and so that's, I think that's what my biggest concern with all of it is, is how do you even, you can't, you can't have something out there and then come back afterwards and say, okay, well, we allowed it, but now we're going to put rules on how you can do it. Right. It, it Absolutely. Just, it doesn't work. But I think on the front end, most people don't understand what it actually is. Right. And, you know, when you think about the trickle down to youth sports, et cetera, like I don't, at least is my personal opinion. Second and third graders aren't going to know what it is unless their parents push it. That's right. Right. I mean, it's second and third grader. I have third grade twins. I, I literally do this for a living. They probably hear me in the office all the time. I don't think they could tell you what NIL is. Well, no, and they shouldn't, they shouldn't know what it is. They should be playing. 100%, 100%, 100%, right. But I mean, I've been calling the twin towers since they were born and if I wanted to push and that was my mode, I mean, I could build their brand and develop it further. And there are a lot of parents that try to do that. 
right? right? The pink shoes. Man, I coach high school basketball. I've never seen so many pink shoes and green shoes. And I just can't, I can't. It's, you know, and part of that is people will tell you, hey, wear yellow shoes. So if you play in an AAU tournament, they know like where you are, right? People watching you, et cetera. Like I've heard that before. And I'm just like, it's so, tough. It's tough. Yeah, it's crazy. So say we've got some administrators listening today or um, coaches even, how can they get in touch with you on getting some of this information and how to navigate it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I have a website, triplethreatleadership.com. And then I also have a, another website specifically around NIL education is nil-education.com. Uh, I built the NIL prep kit for school administrators. I also built an NIL prep kit for student athletes and families that it's about 30 pages of everything you ever didn't want to know, but wanted to know about high school NIL specifically, um, get you started. And then I, I, I work forward with any school, helping them decide what it looks like for them. I'm kind of with you. I don't take a stance on NIL. That's not my job, right? I don't tell you this is good. I don't tell you this is bad. I tell you that you have to start educating in the way that fits best for your school and build a plan to be proactive. Otherwise, you don't know when it's going to happen, but it'll probably happen and it'll be a little bit of a mess. Absolutely. Because we're not stopping it. No. It's coming. It's no here. Well beyond here. Right. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. What another great episode for NIL and the policy side of things with Dr. Scott Grant. I hope that you found this as useful as I did with the information that he was able to give us and all of the stuff that he has to continue to stay up on when it comes to policies. Stay up to date with any future episodes by going to my website, stacydwells.com forward slash podcasts. Hope to see you on Sports Development Authority next time.